I, uh, everyone, you are listening to Gather. You're listening to Gather. Together. Gather. This is Amy Salamanis, and this is Gather with Minerva's Books and Ideas, where we'll explore the lives of books and the ideas they ignite and illuminate. No one ever gonna keep me down again. No one ever gonna keep me down again. Some books are toolkits you take up to fix things, from the most practical to the most mysterious, from your house to your heart, or to make things from cakes to ships. Some books are wings. Some are horses that run away with you. Some are parties to which you are invited, full of friends who are there even when you have no friends. In some books you meet one remarkable person, in others a whole group or even a culture. Some books are medicine, bitter but clarifying. Some books are puzzles, mazes, tangles, jungles. Some long books are journeys, and at the end you are not the same person you were at the beginning. Some are handheld lights you can shine on almost anything. These are the words of Rebecca Solnit in the book A Velocity of Being, Letters to a Young Reader. Hey, it's Amy, and in this episode we look at the by turns painful, joyous, confusing and generally angsty time of transition as we become our older selves, something that never really stops evolving. As Virginia Woolf wrote, a self that goes on changing is a self that goes on living. And we ask what role books and art play in our becoming us. We take Maria Popova's brain pickings and her associated books such as Figuring and A Velocity of Being, where beautiful illustrations accompany letters by a range of creative people like Solnit, on why we read and how books transform us. In addition to these books, for the last 15 years, Popova has been bringing us a regular newsletter filled with bookish goodness as she gathers wisdom and tells stories of artists, writers, scientists and more. We also refer to Australian coming-of-age classics The Getting of Wisdom and My Brilliant Career. Other books discussed are the work of Leanne Hall, who we chat to and hear a new work created for our segment Things Found in Books. And our indie book feature is the exciting recent collaboration between the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, StickMob and Gestalt Publishing, who launched three new graphic novels during NADOC week, and we speak to young writer and mentor Declan Miller. We also hear the sounds of Ballarat electronic musician Flock, and we have our voice messages, the brave souls who sent through their favourite coming-of-age books that you'll hear as well. Hi, Amy. It's Jenny Fink here from Ballarat Libraries. Hi, Amy. Sorry for the delay in sending this to you. Hello, everybody. My name is Ruth. Hello, Gather. Hello, Amy. Thank you for the opportunity to think back and remember. Note, all my guests in this episode were recorded online due to geography or lockdowns, so excuse the varying audio sounds. So to begin, as a child of the 1980s and 90s, cassette tapes were still very much a part of life. Recording songs off the radio, buying the best of smash hits, meticulously creating mixtapes for our bows, and recording our own voices. Now, it might not surprise you that I wrote a lot of teenage poetry, and for better or worse, one such poem has lived on, on tape. 
It's incredibly bizarre and embarrassing to hear my teenage voice and all its drama. I'm going to share a bit of that with you, but a short preliminary tale. In 1990s Melbourne, there was a heroin pandemic, and as a teenager it was a rite of passage of sorts to have some kind of altercation with desperate city junkies. Mine happened one day when I entered a shop and dutifully left my school bag at the desk, only to have my bag stolen by said party. To their disappointment, I'm sure, there would have been little of value in there, some change, some old food perhaps, some homework, but to me one of my most precious items was lost, my notebook of poems. I remember sitting on the back of the 250 bus back to Ivanhoe feeling bereft and quickly trying to write down as much as I could remember. This snippet of teenage poem refers to this event as my soul under souls in the rain. Here we go. Shooting stars are so rare. I don't think anyone can stand my eyes. Too many things in one place. Fever is a dangerous thing. Waking up, dreams can seem bad, but others leave you with a craving. You can taste it, but your fingers are always too short. My knees shook among the cold, and faces look ugly when you're strange. Riddles. A world riddled with languages and everyone's driving bumper cars and wearing blindfolds. It's only words, but my soul is under souls in the rain and maybe parasols on boats in the sun. This is almost fun, but what's left? What will we eat for supper? I'm going to get a fine because I'm blind. The milk crate was safe in another time, hours before. If you want to fly, buy a cannon. I wish I was a bear, not one on chains but one in a cave. Come on in. The fire's alight. Yeah. The tape is interspersed with various bits of music, including rap, that I'm pretty sure was my friend's brother's and that I decided to tape over. Sorry about that. And so, growing up, we all go through it. And discovering the world of books and art and self-expression is all part of the journey. How does what we read shape us as people? Maria Popova and her labour of love, Brain Pickings, is described as a record of my own becoming as a person, intellectually, creatively, spiritually, poetically, drawn from my extended marginalia on the search for meaning across literature, science, art, philosophy and the various other tentacles of human thought and feeling. She's such a beautiful writer. While I couldn't get Popova on the line, I was so happy to chat with a young writer that she has inspired. Rochi Zalani is a 22-year-old writer, content creator and self-confessed binge reader based in India. She writes poetry and cultural commentary, and last year she began her own bookish newsletter, inspired by the one and only Brain Pickings. I am Rochi, it's R-O-C-H-I, and uh, it's, it's a funny story of my name, it's just a combination of my brother's name. So I have two brothers, they're Rohant and Chintan, so it's just a Rochi. So I'm from a small town in India and I began reading books at the age of, I think, 10 because I wanted to copy a sister because I thought she's really cool and I, you know, wanted to be like her. So that's when I started to read books and uh, I've never stopped since. Soon after I began, you know, writing my own stuff, writing poetry, as soon as I realized that, okay, books are not uh, coming in the world by magic, you know, some people are writing it. So I started, I think, writing poetry and stuff like that. I have uh, like a poem on hand. Um, uh, I'll read it because, you know, um, I got a lot of good response um, on this poem. It's called uh, Record Everything and it goes like this. I have an incessant need to record everything. Mom did not say I love you before getting married. Dad used to be a math teacher. K holds the spoon like it's heavy. R hates rats and heights and rains. 
Didion did not know why she wrote it. Neither do I. I don't know why I seek answers in dashes of Dickinson, in rooms of Wolf, in solitude of Sontang, in tall trees of Mary. Reading the secrets of poetesses, storing leaves as brown and rusty as my memories, a perennial desire for sunshine to not go away. Writing everything that I ever heard, saw, felt, tasted, drank, lived. Nothing makes sense later. But mom used to play table tennis and harmonium. Dad reads passages of the same book daily. K changed his name in primary school. R used to be called another name in pre-nursery. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's about how like, I, I try to record everything that I... you know encounter and i've i've seen that it's so it's a common theme among like poetesses and you know writers they want to kind of write about everything they want to record everything like it's like like it's scary to forget it so um yeah i wrote a poem about that and uh, uh, then my brother was really impressed that you know i'm writing so he pushed me so he made me a website uh, in 11th and i used to write there on and off i just on some like side pocket money in college from writing and last year during uh, the pandemic in december i took the plunge and uh, you know got into writing full time so yeah i was thinking we met online through our shared love of brain pickings and i was thinking today it's kind of hard to explain what it is i was wondering how you would explain brain pickings to someone that didn't know it yeah that's true so uh when i started reading brain pickings it was again uh, you know through my brother he said you know you enjoy reading about books and poetry and art and uh, you know stuff like that so i think you will enjoy this brain pickings and i subscribed to a newsletter in the beginning and you know i used to get those weekly emails and i thought uh, writing is about everything you know from books to life to art to poetry and from like hustle culture and productivity she writes about uh, a wide array of subjects So I think yeah brain pickings is great I think it has inspired a lot of my work and pushed me to you know start my own newsletter and uh, write more poetry and you know focus on things that truly matter and what are those things to you so um I I really enjoy poetry and books uh, and uh, especially during the pandemic I think it became kind of my coping mechanism towards everything to kind of refocus on you know living a good life and becoming you know this person so like if you've read the about page of uh, brain picking is about maria popova it's she said that i wanted to record myself being a person through the you know things i'm reading and the opinions i'm forming and i i was inspired by that and i wanted to do something similar by uh, poetry and art and comics and you know finding humor in life It's so important, isn't it? I'm loving your um yeah, the, like you were saying the mix of little stories and visuals and links off to recommendations and things. It's good fun. I was just so bombarded with content on the internet, you know, there's so much to read and nothing to feel like enough because once you just finish a book or finish a blog, there's just another one to read and uh, there's a lack of minimalism in content. So my purpose was to combat that and also you know get a regular writing practice. So it was my um that was my intention when I began. I began with I think 104 people. They were friends and family and acquaintances, people that I you know kind of uh pushed into subscribing that you know give it a try, give it a try. But uh now it has grown to a big family like 600 people. So it's it's great. 
I definitely share a very funny comic or a funny tweet that I read that week. I also always share a poem. Sometimes I share my poems as well. I try to share it uh, every alternate newsletter. And then I share something about a book uh, and good stuff that I found on the internet. It may be thoughtful. It may be funny. It uh, may be interesting to read. It may be a cultural commentary. And uh, then there's one self-reflection question for you. So... Yeah, that's that's why there's there's a definite structure, but um, it's just things that I think matter. Oh, that's amazing! And you talked about it a little bit. Yeah, how has brain pickings inspired you? I really loved her story. You know how she began with seven friends. So she would just uh, love talking about books and what she's what she's been reading and what she's been thinking, and she would share it with seven friends via email. And now it has it is this huge community of people. And uh, like I said, it's I I love the fact that she portrays it as a fact that it's a record of herself becoming a person. I think her book is uh, truly great in the sense that you know she talks about artists that are not that well known, along with artists that are you know already pretty famous, authors and musicians, and there's no there's no bar there. So uh, I love discovering new authors from her uh, page, and you know her work is. It's inspiring. Are there any particular Indian writers or artists that you'd like more people to know about? For sure. So um, I love Degaja. If you if you've ever heard of her, it's um, she's an essayist, and you know she used to work for a big company earlier, but then you know she quit, and now she writes uh, essays and she works with NGOs. And I have always feel felt really inspired by her work. So like I've. connected with uh, people from brain pickings the brain pickings community i have connected with people who share the love of rega jha because she well, i love that her writing is not specific to the indian scenario all of her writings they're about the internet the hustle culture and the cancel culture and uh, you know other cultural commentaries that that can be read by a global audience so i i would recommend anyone uh, to read about her Oh, I'll check that out for sure. And yeah, so I'm asking people for this episode about their favorite coming of age novels. If you've got any you'd like to tell us about, so I've had so many. When you would, uh, you know, you share that you would, uh, we would like discuss like coming of age novel. That's the theme. I was like, oh my god, now how do I choose about uh, so many among so many great novels? And um, I because I love a good building stroman. You know, the literary speak for coming of age. But um, uh, the first one that came into my head. was a book i read recently i read it during the pandemic and it successfully distracted me from what was going around in the world so i'll give it that it was uh, my year of rest and relaxation by otessa moshfeg and it's about uh, you know this woman who wants to escape adulthood and she has a good financial privilege to do it so she has taken a year off and she's you know experimenting with drugs she's thinking about her past and she's she's kind of hibernating if i would say that it has it has like the vibe of the bell jar by silvia plath but it's it's more in the modern context and another billings roman that i uh, love there too the in the their older books like emma and little woman so emma is uh, you know it's a very she's a very unlikable character that's what i love about uh, that novel because she's uh, she's the protagonist of the story and it's hard to read a book when you don't like the protagonist but Uh, and even Austen was famous for saying that you know I'm going to take a heroine whom no one but myself will much like, and that book taught me the power of unlikable characters because you know we see how she was elitist and 
she was very opinionated and privileged and how she has kind of grown and learned more about society and discarded her biases it was it was a pleasure to uh, you know read about her qualms and even um, little woman it has a, if there are four people who are like coming of age all the sisters and you know like everyone else i love joe's storyline the most but i also find amy's story like really interesting amy and beth they're they're really interesting characters what do you think it is about those characters that we fall in love with like joe i think she's uh, you know she's relatable especially for uh, maybe unfeminine standards because she's not that feminine and you know her her qualms are very even though it's like a very old novel her qualms are very modern about wondering about her career and you know not fitting into a cultural stereotype but uh, i i loved i loved joe's character i found amy's character also really interesting i think it was a challenge for me because i wouldn't like a person like amy if there was in real life but uh, when you get an inside perspective through a novel like little woman it kind of challenges you to uh, you know think about your own biases towards people i wanted to ask again we've talked about it a bit but how books sort of shape us in those years where we're transitioning from children into adults i guess and how they help reading or through writing as well or other kinds of creativity what role do they play in us becoming who we are not a big question at all <laughs> yes it's it's a lot of pressure to <laughs> to you know talk about this because yes everyone knows yeah you know what books are important i know we should read but uh i actually don't remember the time in my life when i was in reading because i began so young but uh, it it helped me become the person who i am even if i do not remember what exactly i read in the books it kind of impacted me maybe sometimes subconsciously um and you know they shifted my perspective i think um the biggest things that books have done for me especially fiction books um is you know building empathy because uh, when you read about a character and you know you may resonate with them you do, may not resonate with them it it truly helps you build empathy and uh, that's what i think books have done for me and uh, especially when you're uh, young and you know the kind of books you read and the kind of people you hang out with and how much time you can devote to creativity uh, kind of impacts a lot of your thought process and a lot of the person you're going to become what are you going to value as you um get older so and you know it's ironic because all those screens and you know everything have made us so connected they've also packed our calendars and i think a packed calendar is it's it's like an enemy to creativity so you know you have to kind of make a deliberate effort uh now to get more creativity in your life earlier it would have been simpler i wouldn't say it would it was easy back then as well but it would have been a little bit simple simpler to you know find creativity every day but now you have to uh, make time for it you're going to read a poem for us aren't you so i'm about to read wendy cope's the orange so you know when we discuss that you know we'll read one poem i was i was wondering which poem should i read because there's so many good ones and so many that have uh, influenced me and you know changed my perspective about uh, life and things but uh, this poem is about It's a very simple poem. That's what I love about it. It's a simple concise poem and uh, it's just about a very good day. It's an ordinary day, but you're just in good mood. The weather is good. You finished your work early and uh, it just reminds me that you know the big stuff is great when it comes, but uh, life's about the little things, about uh, little gray days sprinkled 
uh, every day. At lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters, and I had a half. And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do. Just lately, the shopping, a walk in the park. This is peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. Big thanks to Rochi and go check out her writing and sign up for her newsletter. So we heard there about simplicity and creativity amidst our screen lives, as well as the amazing global connections that can be made between people sharing the love of books, poetry, cultural commentary and ideas. And writing and creativity as a way of moving through and processing the teenage years. School, family, identity, relationships, sexuality, art, love, loss, technology and dreams of who you want to be or what is expected of you. Learning and exploring the world around us and its diversity. Before we hear more from our wonderful guests, here's what some of you said about your favourite coming-of-age books. I was advanced in schooling and everything, and then when we moved to the big country, to the big city called Creswick, my new English teacher noticed that I was reading adult-level books, and he introduced me to my first-ever fantasy novel called The Sword of Shannara. And I can remember reading it beside soccer pitches in the freezing cold in the middle of winter. And I just couldn't stop reading it. When I got to the end, I continued on reading and reading. But this one particular book has really stuck with me over the years. So much so that I named my son for the main character in the book, Shay Owensford. My coming of age characters and books were Nancy Drew mysteries. It was a revelation to me that a young woman, fictional character, could drive a story. I ate those books up. And then I guess followed quite a few years later with Buffy. Also, you know, young female character, fictional. Also, not only driving stories, but also driving stakes through vampire hearts. I mean, God, what's not to love? This is Erin. Thanks. It took me a while to pick a book that I loved as a teenager because I have so many favourites. It's I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. It was written in 1949 and was a huge success for her before she went on to be an even more successful author with 101 Dalmatians. At the age of 13, this book had everything for me, a very eccentric bohemian family that I loved, a wonderful crumbling romantic castle that they all lived in and a complex love story. I also desperately wanted to be the narrator Cassandra. I've read it many times but reading it again as an adult doesn't have quite the same magic as when I was younger but it's still a terrific book that withstands time and well worth the read today. Thanks. The child who found reading so difficult and and not really a pleasure has um, made a, a life in reading as a, as a profession now. And I would have to say that reading brings me the greatest source of, of joy and comfort. I don't have a coming of age book. I think I probably have a coming of age to reading. Reading.
was a gradual process that I'm very, very pleased to have undertaken. Um, okay, thanks. We turn now to our indie book feature and a chat with young writer and mentor Declan Miller. Here at Minerva's, we love supporting great organisations like the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, and we were super excited to hear about this project that they were part of recently and that launched during NAIDOC Week, an annual celebration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in Australia. Teaming up with Gestalt Publishing and Declan's design studio Stickmob, three graphic novels have been published. They address topics such as climate change, intergenerational trauma and healing, and two-way cultural learning against the backdrop of life in Central Australia. The three female authors and artists, Lauren, Serafina and Alyssa, are Australia's first ever Aboriginal female graphic novelists with published books, and Declan the second male, to mentor Brenton McKenna. So Declan has recently finished high school and has been busy. His first graphic novel, started Stick Mob, has run workshops in the community like Comics in Crisis and became Centralian Young Person of the Year. But he found time to have a chat with me about his book Mixed Feelings, published along with Exo Dimensions and Storm Warning. Each book is described as a treasure trove of intricate storytelling and eye-watering illustrations. Expect to be delighted, shocked and intrigued. My name is Declan Miller. I'm a graphic novelist, uh, recently published. I'm from Central Australia, Arundaland in uh, Mumbantua, Alice Springs and uh, NT. And uh, I just turned 20. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've just come out of your teens. Absolutely. So this has been the, uh, it's been a lifelong dream to actually get my book published and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, yeah, tell us about it. It's called Mixed Feelings. Um, how did it come about and the, the launch recently for NADOC Week? Mixed Feelings is about a girl named Pam who goes through school feeling like a bit of a weirdo and a bit of an outcast, and she's kind of labelled like that. And um, she eventually gets mixed into the wrong crowd and does things that she's not necessarily proud of or wants to do. And um, when given the opportunity to be able to take all that back, uh, like time travel, for instance, um, she, she goes ahead and does it and just kind of runs away from this whole world that she's stuck in at the moment. And, uh, but that's not always the right thing to do is that's the point I'm trying to make. And just to kind of push through like your problems and just, uh, like, yes, they happen. Yes, I did do that. Yes, I did do that. But just kind of keep going and just, you know, accept it, I guess. So there's a mix of, um, yeah, real life stuff and a bit of sci-fi in there. Yes, absolutely. I um, Sometimes I get a bit too crazy with the sci-fi, but um, I really enjoy it because I, I grew up watching cartoons and shows that were just chock full sci-fi and chock full of these amazing storytellers and amazing writers. And my dream is to be able to like, you know, get people excited for the next book, get people excited for the next episode. And I've thought about it a lot recently and I'm just, I'm, yeah, really giggly with myself at the moment. <laughs> oh, no, big congrats. So good. The graphic novel form, yeah, that bringing together of story and visual and, and text, what do you love about it? What do you think it can do? Well, um, so two years ago I was diagnosed with a, a rare case of dyslexia. And um, so I suck at reading and writing. So I was never, I was never good at reading and writing. I always, I always like tried my hardest and just stressed myself out to be able to, to try and get good grades at school. 
and uh, I just could never wrap my head around uh, reading or spelling or just grammar in general. Like I would, I would miss out on words and all this kind of stuff. And for the longest time, up until I was diagnosed, I always thought like, you know, just I wasn't, wasn't good enough and I wasn't able to do it. But I always really enjoyed, even from like a young age, really enjoyed drawing and I really enjoyed like creating these complex stories and creating these weird and amazing stories in my head and trying to put them on paper was always difficult. So I, I went very young. I picked up like making comics, like just, just drawing and adding text and all that kind of stuff to it. No one read them because I, I now, now that I look back on them, I can't even read them because of my handwriting and the spelling and all that kind of stuff. I've, I've always used them to be able to help give myself a voice and express myself in that creative way and be able to become a storyteller. Like I've always wanted to. And, um, I think it's really helpful because it empowers people to be able to, you know, one challenge their art style and see how, you know, how they can position their characters and what they can do as a storyteller and also how they can, you know, pretty much get their point across. Like, uh, yeah, I, I think it will help a lot of people. And yeah, I'm interested about how where you live inspires your work as well and your culture. So I'm Aranda and Amajida on my dad's side and I'm Scottish on my mum's side. And cultural awareness and uh, just racial awareness. So like understanding that this town I live in is very mixed and there's a lot of different cultures and there's a lot of different people in this place that have different experiences and different traditions and you can walk into one house and they could be Christian and you can walk into another house and they could be absolute Muslim or from an Asian country. And it's, 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 you know, just understanding their culture and understanding who they are and just accepting that instead of questioning it is, is what I've grown to understand in this town. In Alice Springs here, it's, it's very diverse. I'll have, I'll have, um, like, a, a, a half, the, half my friend group is Aboriginal and then I'll have, you know, some, uh, a couple of New Zealanders and people from Asia. I've got a Chinese friend and he's, he's amazing. He's so smart and all that kind of stuff. And people are really confused when, like, when I go on trips to other places, like I went on a trip to Japan and Bali and they're just confused about how diverse our friend group is and how we just kind of get along, even though we're all so very different. Yeah, and it must be a big moment to all be publishing together this year. Can you tell us a bit about how that's happened and what you've done with Stick Mob? Stick Mob actually came together um, through a need that we all wanted to continue making the books. Like we really enjoyed our company with each other and we really enjoyed the journey of actually making the books and I wanted more of it and the girls really wanted a lot more of it and um, they wanted to make money out of it and um, we're not just doing graphic novels, we're actually doing art and we're doing you know, helping campaigns and doing certain things and exploring different avenues that we can do, not just solely the graphic novels. It's more a mixture of different things. And um, Stick Mob kind of came together like that. And um, for the past uh, one and a half years, I've been working on it with Wendy Cowan, my teacher from year eight that actually inspired me and pretty much pushed me and drove me to actually keep working on mixed feelings and um, get it turned into this big thing and this actual book that's been published. So, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think there's any themes that are crossing the three um, graphic novels that have come out that share the same sort of challenges or ideas people are trying to share? My, my, my theme for my book is, you know, um, accepting change and accepting, you know, um, your past and moving on and all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm kind of a hypocrite. I hate change and all that kind of stuff. So, um, 
me making a book and just trying to help other people get through it. And like, I want to get through it. Um, it's kind of the theme of my book for, um, extra dimensions. It's, it's about complex families and about, you know, you might not always like your family or like the people you're kind of stuck with, you could say, um, and you don't get to choose your family, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, be around them all the time. Like they doesn't mean families have to be simple. And um, if you have a really toxic family member or someone that, you know, you don't really like, you can, you can move away and that's okay. And like, you know, you can get away from amidst, amidst all the blood and guts and zombies <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> all the combat and fight scenes and like the amazing like graphics and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's the kind of core of it. And also really complex, like, you know, storytelling and family ties and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think with Storm Warning, it, it, it's, it's about like, well, Storm Warning, it's, it's about climate change and um, trying to get a, uh, trying to, instead of just be like, talk about climate change, you know, sh- show what it could look like, you know, 20, 40 years down the track when, you know, thing, uh, the, if we don't change, like the possibility, if we don't change how we look at the world and how we look after this world, um, what's it, what could happen? Places have, you know, uh, hailstorms or storms or earthquakes when they're not really meant to, where it makes no sense. And in, in a way that's just, you know, showing like, you know, the world fighting back or something like something like that, just making it really interesting. Uh, Lauren Boyle, the, the writer and all that, uh, the author and all that kind of stuff, and Alyssa Mason, the illustrator, just both really amazingly kind of crafted this together and worked together on it. And um, they're really keen to make all make new make another book we're all really keen to make second second books and continuing books for all this well i wish you all the best with it um where should people go if they want to learn more about stick mob um go to www.stickmobstudio.com.au um and check that out and uh, yeah um find out more about us um we've got contacts there we've get in touch if you want to tell a story get in touch with us um if you like work for a school or work for a group or something like that, please um, get in contact us and get us to a workshop and pretty much support you in creating whatever creative stuff that you want to do. Sounds good. <laughs> and did I hear something about a, a possible podcast project? Yes. So um, this is a working title. We're with um, Heroes Next Door. So um, Heroes Next Door is a project that we're working with um, Centralian Senior College um, in Alice Springs with um, the ab study class or aboriginal studies class it's, it's pretty much working on the stories that not a lot of people hear so you, we've you know you, you've got like the typical you know um, albert nangajira you've got you've got all these amazing stories of these people but um we want to bring out these stories of like people's aunties or people's uncles or grandparents that you know helped with like i don't know the gan or building Alice springs or doing something amazing that they haven't really been given the recognition or like remembrance of. And um, we want to create these stories and get like kids from Australian Senior College to uh, get these stories together and we'll work with them on creating a script to like be able to produce these stories. It'll be a lot of fun. (laughs) Look forward to listening to that. So um, I wanted to ask, as someone who's just turned 20, what do you think the, the big issues are facing young people in 2021? I think for young people in, in general, I think a sense of identity and just uh, a not a big hope in the future, you could say, is, you know, if our future is stable enough, um, 
because you know it's 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 all the talk of global warming you know all this type of stuff um the pandemic hasn't helped much with anything it's helped with a lot of people being creative and you know finding hobbies and finding things that they like you know achieving their dreams that they weren't really able to do because of work and all this type of stuff but i i, I think it's hard for them for the you know because they they want to change jobs and they they want to find something that sticks with them and a lot of kids want to be able to go travel and experience the world but the moment we feel really shackled i i i for one want to uh, explore i i want to check out the world i i know i'm kind of stuck in alice Springs, stuck in my little square but i, I want to go check things out and i i don't want to be stuck by one set of things i don't want to you know get a job that i absolutely hate i want i want to enjoy it that's why i think stick mob is important for me but yeah, I, I think, and also the sense of identity, um, especially for Indigenous people um, and, and for non-Indigenous people, just f- figuring out who you are in this big world and all that kind of stuff. Thanks so much to Declan and look out for more of his work and the Slip Bob crew in the future. We're exploring in this episode, roving around Australia and around the world, looking at what books and creativity mean in our formation as people. As we've seen with Rochi and Declan, becoming writers and storytellers, this can come from being inspired by what we've read or wanting to create new stories and ways of telling them. While issues facing young people today are compounded by the massive challenges of climate change, pandemics and life with technology, the common coming-of-age themes thread through of identity and belonging, and it seems that our beloved heroes and heroines seem often to be misfits in one way or another. This certainly has always resonated with me, and one of my favourites, Miles Franklin. In what was captured in her semi-autobiographical My Brilliant Career, written in 1899, through the character of Sibylla Melvin, Written when Miles was 17, mind you, and championed by the poet Henry Lawson, a step up from my angsty poetry, she dreamed of having more from life than what she saw as the menial country existence of women and what she called an uncongenial family. She felt herself different and destined for more, and we all fell in love with her. For Henry Handel Richardson, the pen name of Ethel Richardson, she also felt herself a square peg. And her character of Laura Rambotham in The Getting of Wisdom, which is set in the 1880s and published in 1910, it is school life that makes the setting for her getting or perhaps not getting of wisdom. It is Melbourne's PLC, the Presbyterian Ladies' College, whose early aim was to provide for the daughters of our colonists as high an education as their sons. My grandmother Valerie attended the same school later on. This is my mum Margot and Auntie Lynn. Yeah, the next episode of the podcast is going to look at the getting of wisdom and um, Henry Handel Richardson's time at PLC, which is a bit earlier and a bit different. Well, that, but was a, that was our mother's school. A alone. lot earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the PLC. We heard stories about PLC when it was in East Melbourne, didn't we? We did. About how our mother used to smell the hops or whatever it was, the brewery that was up just up the road, the smell coming from that. <laughs> Um, I don't know if the girls were affected, but anyway, (laughs) she remembered the horrible smell. Richardson's character of Laura leaves school, quote, with the uncomfortable sense of being a square peg, which fitted into none of the round holes of her world. The wisdom she had got, the experience she was richer by, had in the process of equipping her for life, merely seemed to disclose her unfitness. So how are we shaped by young experiences such as school? I made my way through three different high schools before finding one where I felt like I kind of fit. And how can writing young adult fiction explore the complex worlds of growing up? 
We chat now to Leanne Hall, an award-winning young adult writer who also happens to be a friend of mine after we met working at Reading's Bookshop in Carlton. We talk here about her books, about bookselling, her experience growing up and writing as a Chinese-Australian, and we hear a specially created piece for this episode called Far Away, Far Away for our Things Found in Book segment. You may also hear the lovely, comforting sounds of her snoring dog. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Leanne Hall. I am a writer who uh, lives in Melbourne. I write mostly for children and teenagers. And my writing is, I guess, always plays with the boundary between like real and strange or surreal. So I I like playing around with that kind of barrier between the normal everyday world and, and strange and surreal things happening. I think YA, one of the great things about it and and why I love reading it and writing it is that it's got a pretty freewheeling attitude towards genre. Like there's a lot of genre fiction and cross-pollination of genre and just kind of weird mashups. And I feel like there's slightly less restrictions, sort of less boundaries between genres that that you might find in adult fiction. Um, You know, in young adult fiction, I feel like anything goes. Yeah, that's interesting. I need to read more. I feel like the main stuff I've read is yours. Yeah, yeah, you should get stuck into it. I mean, the the benefit of of YA, which I always, you know, I try not to evangelise about it too much, but I do actually think if you're looking for books that are really like a little bit shorter, a little bit easier to read and like highly entertaining and very plot and character driven, always with interesting settings, I think you really can't go wrong with YA. Yeah, we met a long time ago at readings and I have been there for a long time on and off as well. How do you think that's sort of coexisted with your writing? It's actually coexisted really, really nicely. Um, I have, you know, in my on and off maybe 13 years at the bookshop, have worked in a variety of different roles. So I started in the kids section at Readings Carlton um, before it became a separate, you know, Readings Kids shop that was next door. I started on the shop floor and was on the shop floor for many years. So, you know, that's really being on the counter, um, unboxing books, putting them on shelves, helping customers with recommendations. And since then, I've worked in a variety of roles, helping manage the Readings Foundation, which is the charitable arm of readings. Um, And for the last sort of five years or so, I've really concentrated on um, digital content. So blog content and the kids webpage and, and that sort of thing. So I think it's been a great job that you can work out three or four days a week. It's related to my passion, which is books and writing, but it isn't. I just feel like it's a really nice, really nice compliment to my writing. My first book, This Is Shyness, came out and I can kind of sort of tack the second book onto that one as well because it was a sequel, Queen of the Night. And those two books are set in an imaginary place called Shyness, which is a suburb of a larger city, very similar to Melbourne. Um, but this suburb has been in darkness for three years. So the sun stopped rising over this suburb three years ago. And since then, the residents have lived in eternal, eternal night. I think, you know, my impetus with those two books, really the focus was on setting like a really strange setting. And then I put two ordinary slash extraordinary teens, um, Wolf Boy and Wild Girl, into this strange setting, but really created a very real relationship and friendship between them. Um, and I, I kind of think that might be that might be my thing is to explore unexpected friendships and relationships between two very ordinary seeming young people and um, put them in a really strange and challenging setting and seeing seeing what happens. So um, I kind of carried that through to my third book, Iris and the Tiger. 
even though that one was for a much younger audience. So that one um, is more for a, a nine to 12 year old audience. But again, it features, you know, an unlikely set of friendships taking place somewhere really strange. And in the case of Iris and the Tiger, it's in a magical country estate in Catalonia in Spain. And I send, you know, very ordinary Chinese-Australian girl, Iris Chen Taylor, to stay with a mysterious great-aunt who happens to live in this incredibly odd place where uh, surreal things happen. And my my most recent book, The Gaps, I guess would be seen as a bit of a departure for me. It's young adult fiction, but it is strictly contemporary and realist. And um, it's set at a private girls' school where um, one of the students has been abducted. And it's about how all of the other girls at the school cope with this horrible crime happening in their community. Chloe and Natalia, I wanted to have two really different young women that you wouldn't think would be friends connect unexpectedly um, over an art project. So Chloe's a, a scholarship student at um, at the school and Natalia is kind of a on the surface a queen bee type character um, that fits in very well at the school. And they strike up this friendship over an art project that Chloe does for, for art class, but she's very much inspired by the events that are happening at the school with um, the abduction of their schoolmate. But also she's inspired by the images of young women that she sees around her in crime fiction, on the covers of crime fiction books, in billboards um, and advertisements, you know, for television crime shows. And she's also really inspired, you know, by her childhood fairy tales as well, all these depictions of, of young women. And she kind of rolls that all into an art project that kind of explores, I guess, some of the darker side of being a young woman. And Natalia kind of jumps on this art project um, and unexpectedly, you know, they find that they get along quite well. Um, from Natalia's point, you know, she's just relieved that somebody isn't pretending that everything's okay, that they are looking at the dark side of things. And I guess I did want to explore that, you know, art as a means of exploring difficult events and uncomfortable feelings and the ways that you can use art to process grief and trauma in your life. And so that's definitely what Chloe and Natalia are doing together when they, they work on that art project. Yeah. And how did you use your creativity when you were going through coming of age? Um, I mean, writing was a real, was a real source of comfort to me. I was a very compulsive writer um, as, you know, I guess when on the, when I always wrote stories, but when adolescence hit, I really went hard on the writing. So I was very much like a daily journal writer. I wrote many, many diaries over the course of my adolescence. And also, you know, I was I was constantly in creation and constantly writing. I used to turn, I used to like do comic strips in each week of my school diary. Um, I wrote poetry, you know, I wrote theatre, I wrote, tried to write short films, um, I wrote short stories. I was very, very prolific, even though most of my writing was quite secret. I would show it maybe to a few friends. Um, for comment or appreciation, but mostly I did it for myself. So it, it honestly really, I think, was a really important part of my teenage years in just kind of just letting out all of my emotions. I think, you know, it seems like a bit of a cliche, but the teenage years are very emotional. I think it was really helpful for me just to put my emotions on the page and name them and talk about them. Um, and also just trying to figure out who I was and where I belonged in the world. I, I really think that writing helped me a lot 
my predominant feeling during my teenage years was all the ways in which I kind of was different and didn't belong. And again, that's actually something I explore in the gaps. You know, the, the main difference was that I'm Chinese Australian. So especially in primary school, you know, I really felt culturally like I didn't fit in anywhere. But, you know, that feeling obviously has extended throughout my life, that feeling of um, kind of having a foot in both, both camps, both Australian and Chinese at the same time. But also for other reasons at school, because I was a scholarship student. Um, and so, you know, I was in a kind of mixing in different socioeconomic circles from what, what I was used to. So all of that added up to a feeling of, of being different and not belonging. But I do think that that is a real hallmark of the teenage years for almost everyone. I think that everyone secretly harbours a feeling that they're kind of a freak in some way and don't, and don't belong I just think some people are a bit more open about it. It's a bit more obvious in some people, but you know, the the teenage years are difficult for everyone. Your, your body and your mind is going through this massive transformation, so you do you do feel pretty freakish most of the time. It's a good word for it. Yeah, yeah, we do seem to be drawn to those misfit characters, don't we, in the classic coming of age books? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do think that misfits and, and outcasts really make for great protagonists in coming of age stories. I think it's much easier to relate to and barrack for those characters rather than the characters that seem to sail through life easily. They just don't make for good um, conflict-ridden protagonists if people are in the world too easily. But I do think one of the things I wanted to do with the gaps, particularly with the character of Natalia, um, on the surface she appears like she is coasting through her teenage years because she, outwardly speaking, really belongs at the school. You know, she's she's pretty she's blonde she's rich she's white she's got a group of friends that kind of idolize her everyone kind of looks up to her slash is incredibly scared of her um she's that popular but then when you just dip a little bit further underneath her surface you realize that Natalia has a lot of struggles and that actually her way of being in the world is quite strange and she is a misfit of sorts who has some pretty unusual thoughts and and problems and I did want to get across that feeling of like you can't take people at face value. Like most people have internal struggles and most people kind of have trouble fitting in and having have trouble feeling that they fully belong. I just heard the big snore there. That your dog's not bothered by a feeling of belonging. <laughs> my, my dog is belonging very well next to me here and having a good snore. Yeah, in the gaps, it's uh, the first person narration that goes between the two characters. So you really get that chance to go in deep into their thoughts and yeah, perspectives on life and how they change through the book too, I guess. It's a bit of another thread that runs through my books for me is that dual narration. I've done it quite a bit. I love that gap between how you perceive yourself and how other people perceive you. Um, and I remember, you know, when I was young and when I say young, I mean, not just teenage years, but all through my 20s. I remember feeling particularly obsessed with what people thought of me. Like the most delicious thing in the world was finding out what somebody thinks of you and how you're seen by other people. That's so true. And so writing a dual narration gives you that satisfaction of, of seeing how a character thinks of themselves and then seeing this other view and seeing what other people think of them. So I, I like that kind of 360 degree full picture that you get from a dual narration. Yes, everyone should read it. It's it's heartbreaking and wonderful at the same time. So we'll move along now to another book very different from, <laughs> from that, although both set at school and with 
you know, young people going through their angst and <laughs> confusion and all of that. But yeah, the getting of wisdom. Can you tell us a bit about your relationship with this book? Yes. I first read The Getting of Wisdom, I think in year seven. To be honest, I was a bit of a nerd. It was a set English text in year seven, which meant I probably read it at the end of grade six because I was preparing, <laughs> preparing for my high school career in advance. Yeah, so we, we read it in year seven and it is set at the predecessor to my high school, which is why it was on the curriculum. And I remember really, really loving the book. It was really, you know, I was 12 when I read it. Laura Tweedle-Rambotham is is 12 at the start of the book. And we were in very similar circumstances. She was, uh, Laura is on a scholarship to a new school. And in year seven, I was on a scholarship to a new school. And we both felt like fish out of water. And so I really related to all of Laura's agonies at high school. Um, and I was asked to write an essay last year about a book set in Victoria or Melbourne and to reflect on it. And I chose The Getting of Wisdom and reread it and was really, really surprised at how much I still enjoyed it. Like classics or, you know, favourite books from your early years don't always stand the test of time when you reread them. But this one definitely did. I still think it's an incredibly brilliant book. And how did you approach that piece of writing that you did reflecting on it? So I decided to kind of focus in on on um, how much I related to Laura as a character. So I wrote it as a letter and it started off as being a letter to Laura about how much I kind of felt all of her um, her agonies and pains during the novel and all the reasons why I related so strongly to her. Um, but one of the strange things for me about books that I read when I was a child and with classics is that I loved them and related to them and connected to them so much at the same time that those books completely excluded me as a person. So, you know, as a Chinese Australian, I did not have the privilege when I was growing up to see myself in stories. And that was any story, like in books, on television, in movies. I, it was almost as if I and my family did not exist in Australia. You know, that's the message I got from all of the stories around me. We were just completely absent. So my relationship with those beloved books is really fraught. I relate to them, but also they're like actively excluding me from the story. Um, and that was the approach they took with The Getting of Wisdom. And, and when I reread it, you know, I, I remembered the character of Chinky, um, who is not um, Chinese despite her racist nickname but she does kind of have slightly Asiatic features and that's that's given as a reason for her nickname Chinky. Um, I remembered the character of Chinky and how awkward that was for me hearing that name when we were studying the book in year seven and then I noted you know some other really minor references to Chinese people in The Getting of Wisdom and it's set you know in the goldfield so of course there were Chinese plenty of Chinese people around at the time, and they just make really, really small, small um, appearances in the getting of wisdom. And then at the end of my essay, what I really wanted to do was to reimagine a place for my ancestors within a classic story. And so I kind of wrote a missing scene, you know, a, a purported missing scene from the book in which Laura does encounter a Chinese Australian girl her age out on an evening walk and I, I picked a point in the book where she does actually go for a walk and there's a storm and I just kind of extrapolated from there and inserted you know an imagined ancestor of mine into the book and I just found that such an incredibly satisfying experience there's something about 
just that thing of writing that that missing scene from the book that featured someone like me or a member of my family. I just enjoyed doing that so much. Yeah, what an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah, it was it was so so satisfying and it was um you know it was really interesting exercise as a writer to take the setting and character and the writing style that had or you know that had already been provided and to try and write something that kind of fit in with that. It was a, it was a really good kind of technical exercise as well. Well, that's sort of fed into your thinking about the piece you're going to read for us as well. So yeah, Things Found in Books is the segment we do where artists respond to that idea, whether it's ephemera, we've had stories based on bookmarks or the advertisement for a cruise ship library. (laughs) Um, We've had soundscapes, which were about country and Indigenous experience that isn't found in books. And in the last episode, we had the kids writing comp where they reimagined fairy tales. So there's a bit of a crossover there with what you're going to read as well. But yeah, tell us how you approached this and then we'll hear you read it. Yeah. So, I mean, this really is a direct kind of, I, I think this story is a direct descendant of my getting in wisdom essay. Um, and then when I was thinking about things found in books in a slightly less literal sense um, for this episode, I thought, you know, things found in books, not me. Um, And so I wanted to kind of revisit another childhood favourite of mine from a bit earlier than The Getting of Wisdom and see what, just explore that idea of like, well, I wasn't in the original text and what would happen if I tried to put myself in the book. And because the theme of the episode is coming of age, I, I sort of thought, what would happen if I tried to revisit these characters and settings from my childhood but we were all teenagers and it kind of came from this you know when I was I think in my early 20s I went with an old school friend back to our primary school and we walked around the school and we looked in the windows and we kind of walked into the like the the toilets and had a look in there and then we we played on the monkey bars and the overwhelming feeling was that everything was so small and nothing looked how we remembered it like it was like a doll a dollhouse, you know, we were so much bigger that everything looked tiny. Yeah, it was kind of this weird warped perspective and not to mention we could not swing on monkey bars to save ourselves. So I kind of think, you know, um, it was so lovely that Lucy in your previous episode read from um, The Magic Faraway Tree because um, the Faraway Tree books were massively important to me as a child and I, they really was some of the first books I read when I could read independently. Good, said Joe. Will asked Moonface and Silky. Beth wrote a note and gave it to the little white goat to take to Moonface. And I know from my work, you know, as a children's bookseller, is Enid Blyton is still incredibly beloved and people come in and ask for the Magic Faraway Tree books every single day. They're the kind of books where there's a bit of a resistance to people changing things, like customers at the bookshop get really annoyed by the the changes they made to the characters' names to avoid words like Fanny and Dick. And they're really upset about um, any changes to illustrations or covers. You know, they want the old covers and the old illustrations. So for me, they're really interesting books to pick because I love them so much. They were so important to me. People are really resistant to any changes with them. Yet, you know, obviously there's also some outdated attitudes and things in those books as well that's interesting to bump up against as an adult. Things found in books. You'll hear a new intimacy and richness. Things found in books. 
I was asleep when the little white goat came, nudging its snout against my frosty bedroom window. It took me a minute to untangle from my dreams. No one expects a goat to come from them at midnight. I opened the window and the goat spat an envelope onto my bed. It wore a crown of pink roses on its head. You dear sweet little thing, I said, which is not how I normally talk, but you should have seen the eyelashes on that animal. The goat disappeared into the night. The envelope held an embossed card. The faraway tree reborn, seven-year reunion, occurring now, all welcome. Was I surprised? For about a second. But perhaps a part of me had always known that chapter of my life wasn't fully closed. By the time I reached the dirt road and the backs of the quaint thatched houses, my sneakers were wet and I couldn't feel my nose. I switched my phone off, stared into the horror-filmed depths of the enchanted wood, then jumped to the narrow ditch. Ditch. Wisha, 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 said the trees. The whispering followed me along the path to the tree. In my memory, the faraway tree was a towering giant with a monstrously thick trunk and rough bark full of knots and holes. But this ordinary eucalypt, I almost didn't recognise it. Did I have the right tree? No sooner had I thought this than a rope dangled in front of my face. I grasped it and began to climb. I was out of breath by the time I reached the topmost branch. A pillowy white cloud hid the crown of the tree. A ladder dangled from its centre. Here goes nothing. I spoke out loud to prove to myself I wasn't dreaming. But instead I came off sounding like a character in a book that talks to themselves alone in the woods at night for no good reason. A hysterical laugh almost escaped me. I clambered up into a huge green field in the middle of the countryside, an avenue of paper lanterns lighting the path before me. A hand-painted sign was hammered deep into the soil. The land of the unsupervised house party. Shadowy silhouettes clumped around a cottage on the distant peak of a hill. A swamp, swamp, swamp of heavy bass carried down to where I stood. I took a deep breath. I could do this. I followed the lanterns to the top of the hill and launched myself into the throng. There were toddlers through to senior citizens. Squirrels, deer, bears. Brownies, goblins and elves. Even clocks and dolls come to life. A dusty dance floor was populated with barefoot pixies. The DJ wore a suit of clanging pots and pans. An older woman dressed in more skirts than seemed necessary stood amongst it all and flung buckets of water about. I found the plastic tubs that held ice and bottles of beer, cracked a beer open and kept moving. If only I could find the food, it would be the easiest place to strike up a casual conversation. I set off in a likely direction, but a short girl with long brown hair stopped me. You look familiar. So did she. The last time I saw her, she had a short bob that flicked out at the ends and wore flippy little dresses with Peter Pan collars. Hi, Fanny, I said. Another girl appeared over her shoulder. Oh, hey, Beth. She's called Franny now. Beth had a peroxide blonde shag and wore an oversized lambskin coat. And my full name is Bethany. Who are you? I'm Leanne. I'd only spent three whole years of my childhood whizzing down slides and fending off enchantments with these people. No big deal. I think I remember you. I could tell Franny was only being polite. Do we know you from boarding school? No, I'm from here. I gestured around us, even though we'd never been to this particular land together. 
I mean, I'm from the village. We spent a lot of time climbing the tree, tree together as kids. Franny still wore a blank look. Wait, Joe, called out Bethany as a tall boy in a flannel stumbled past. Do you remember this girl? What's your name again? Joe was broad-shouldered and strong-jawed, with golden hair that cowlicked at the front. He was also blisteringly, staggeringly drunk. I say, he said in a deep baritone, his eyes unfocused. No one told me we were coming to rocking land. I don't like it one little bit. He clutched onto a nearby friend. They swayed back and forth like a storm raged around them. I don't know what he's taken, Franny said to Bethany, but he's being a real pain in the ass. I vote we leave him here. Joe reacted like a bad pantomime actor. Do you think this land will swing away from the faraway tree soon? Oh no, his friend froze. I don't want to live in this queer little place forever. We've no way of escape. The words shot out of my mouth reflexively. The only way down is through the ladder. Do you mind, Bethany said. It's hard enough as it is living with this entitled prick. Don't encourage him. He set fire to the squirrel's general shop earlier. Joe finally focused his bleary gaze on me. Wait, I do remember you. You're Moonface. Franny clicked and pointed at him. Yes, we called her Moonface, remember? That's not right, I said. There was an old man called Moonface. You're thinking of something else, someone else. You had such chubby cheeks back then, Franny explains. They squished your little eyes up. She comes dangerously close to pushing her eyes up at the corners in a way that I recognised from long ago playgrounds. I'll be going then. I reversed hard and fast, ricocheting through the crowd until I found myself at a ring of toadstools piled with food. There were cakes, biscuits, sandwiches, pots of strawberry jam, baskets of plums, glass bottles of lemonade and steaming mugs of cocoa. Someone slid up next to me. Hey, I've got an extra pop biscuit. Do you want it? A girl in a sparkly jumpsuit with a shaved head gave me the friendliest smile of the evening. I know you, she said. It's Leanne, right? I scanned her face. Green eyes, a nose ring, a set of gently pointed ears. Silky, she prompted me, and as soon as she did, I saw it. Oh, right, you used to have um, the hair. I waved my hands around my head to indicate Silky's signature flowing curls. Ugh, said Silky, I could never have my hair that long again. These creepy little gnomes used to try and use it as a blanket. She handed me an ordinary looking biscuit. I bit into it and my mouth flooded with sunshine. Wait, this isn't spiked, is it? Just a little. Silky winked and began loading up a plate with cake and fruit and cream. I swallowed then asked, do you remember this guy from the tree called Moonface? I ran into some others, but they don't know him. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. We don't talk anymore. Oh, I took a sip of beer. Why is that? Like, I used to respect him, you know, that magic he did, the chanting, drawing on the ground in chalk. But then I started my wicker apprenticeship and realized that he'd actually stolen those spells from teachers of mine. Oh, I didn't realize you were a witch. Mm, trainee witch. It was either that or hairdressing. Silky put her plate down and started cramming handfuls of jelly straight into her mouth. In between mouthfuls, she said, there was this whole generation of, you know, mediocre white men who appropriated magic from this lineage of strong female witches and healers and totally took credit for it. 
Did you notice how all the enchanters and wizards and magicians were men back then? Ugh, it makes me so angry. Silky wiped her jellied hands on a passing rabbit. Do you want to go to the poppy field? She asked. I'll take you there. Of course, I said straight away. I wasn't worried about getting stuck anywhere with her. Thanks so much, Leanne, and we have a copy of her latest book, The Gaps, to give away to one of you fabulous listeners. Jump online and share a pic of you with the fave coming-of-age book and tag Minerva's Books and Ideas. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to all our wonderful guests, Rochi Zalani, Declan Miller and Leanne Hall, and the music of Flock, and you should check out all of their work. I'll put links in the notes. The lovely folks that sent in voice messages, thank you. Thanks to Maria Popova of Brain Pickings, the book seed for this episode, and a big inspiration for Gather as a whole. A massive thanks also to Creative Victoria for supporting the production of this episode and the next two to come, completing the first season of Gather. This means all the creative folk get paid, yes. Next up, we have the theme of adaptation, and our guest artist is the awesome musician Gellaray Poor, along with lots of other goodies, including a chat with playwright Christine Davey about her adaptation of My Brilliant Career. It's described as a theatrical reimagining of Stella Miles Franklin's tale of love, language and landscape a beautiful and life-affirming story from Skin of Our Teeth Productions. And shows are on in September, so check out the link I share to that too. This episode was produced by me, Amy Silamanis, with sound engineering by the amazing Dave Byrne. Connect with us online via Minerva's Books and Ideas, and we'll see you next time.